Okay, hello everyone and welcome. Uh, this is Nick Jeans and I am joined today by Natalia and Daryl. And uh, for this episode of the pod, we're going to be looking back at companies, vendors, products that we liked back in the era before COVID. Uh, they just didn't pan out for whatever reason. Maybe uh, they were a good fit, good technology, but we couldn't find a local champion that wanted to implement it uh, here at our health system. Or maybe we had a champion, but uh, we just couldn't afford it, or we couldn't build an integration, or the timetable wasn't right, or there was already a similar solution in our ecosystem. Um, you know, maybe sometimes we just couldn't convince uh, people of this company's worth and this product's value. There are always a lot of things that can go wrong that can derail a potential partnership or a, uh, you know, a proof of concept. But um, we uh, just wanted to look back at uh, some of the companies, some of the technology that we really liked and, and wonder uh, if maybe uh, circumstances will change and, and, and uh, we'll see something like that again. Anyway, um, I wanted to first turn to Daryl and ask him uh, what company caught his eye. Yeah, you know, there was a company, um, the, I believe the company's name was Digital Surgery, and the, the product that they had was Touch Surgery. Uh, we talked to them in mid-July um, of 2019, and what they do is um, they, they consider themselves, they call themselves a data, AI, and visualization company for surgeries. Um, and that they started out as an education and training company. But what they're looking to do is in, enhance the performance of the average physicians by providing guidance during surgery. Um, so it was pretty high tech. Um, and when we when we met with them, what we gleaned was that the, the artificial intelligence algorithms that they build um, will watch the surgeries, will watch expert physicians perform surgeries. So we'll do that multiple times. Um, and then it will build up an, an algorithm and a model. Um, so the, the software creates its own digital repre representation of the surgery and can automatically categorize the surgery into its component pieces or component tasks. And huh. it can actually annotate um, the, the surgery just by watching it multiple times, right? That's the power of um, the machine learning algorithms. Um, and what they were looking to do is that they, they, they look at the way leading surgeons handle these surgeries, and then they would replay this to other maybe junior um, surgeons to give them a sense of how um, an expert in the field would handle um, certain situations and certain procedures. That was that was always something that was so impressive to me when I was doing my surgery clerkships. You'd, you know, scrub into a six-hour surgery or something where, you know, so many dozens of steps, uh, each one is kind of painstaking. And then the surgeon will actually, like, finish the close-up, finish the surgery, scrub out, and, uh, and then go dictate, you know, that entire procedure, mm -hmm. um, you know, from memory. Like, all right, first we did this, and then in the second hour we did this and this and this. And it's, it's really, it's impressive to watch. So you're saying that this AI would kind of be watching along and annotating and kind of figuring out all the different steps and all the people that were involved and what they were doing? Yeah. So you would, uh, I guess you would give it expert surgeons, uh, people who are considered experts in the field to leverage as its, its training set for, for the AM models. And then it would learn after you give it all of these experts, um, uh, the main, the key processes or the key components that go into this type of surgery. Um, 
and it could be used for training and teaching. But what their hope was is that they showed demos of it is that it could be used in real time as a as a, a less experienced surgeon was going through a surgery to pop up a message that you skipped a step that many other expert surgeons would have done here. And, you know, we also talked about small area variation where certain hospitals that are in a geographic location may do things in a certain way that's very different than a, than a hospital that's just, you know, 30 miles away. So maybe they skipped that step on purpose, but it, it would even, it would be a tool to help a junior uh, surgeon say, okay, are you sure you want to skip this step? And then maybe to let them know that other people have included this step. Um, and, and maybe afterwards you could give some, some statistics as to why that helps or not. But it seemed like a good training tool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, here, like at a teaching hospital, I, I guess you're, you're always, you're often going to have a, an experienced surgeon kind of watching the, the resident and uh, uh, if not leading uh, by example, then at least, uh, you know, offering, yeah. shall we say, constructive feedback. But I could see in a, in a community hospital or, or in a, you know, right. Doctors Without Borders or something like in another part of the world, uh, that, could, that could be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we didn't end up going with them. Um, and and I, I was impressed with the technology. I was impressed with what they've done and where they were going. I, I think it may have been a little bit ahead of what um, some – and there were many people at the institution that were very interested in it. But there, it may have been uh, a little bit ahead of what some were willing to um, implement and invest in right now. Um, you know, as – and there may have been some questions about compliance issues, recording the surgeries and things like that. Um, although in this environment now, um, with COVID, and you know, um, you, you want to minimize contact with uh, between physicians and patients, and fewer patients are coming in for for certain types of surgeries, and maybe there's not as much opportunity for a resident to see these surgeries in person because there, there are fewer of them happening. Maybe this is. Um, one of those tools that could be revisited to where it's a way to to train to another tool that can be used to help train the younger staff um, even remotely. These things, and we I think we'll have to look for opportunities to leverage. You know, there's a different need nowadays than there was just even a year ago. So um, I think we're going to have to look at some of these these tools that maybe didn't make so so much sense um, right. A year ago, but maybe because the environment shifted, um, may 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 make more sense now. Well, that's a great point. Um, thanks, uh, thanks, Daryl, for that. And that company was touch. Uh, the product was touch surgery. The company was virtual reality uh, company. Uh, digital Dig surgery. Digital surgery. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next up, we've got Natalia. What do you have for us? The company I wanted to talk about is um, Somatics um, and their product called SmokeBeat. Um, it is a wearable device, which seems very relevant right now with so much remote monitoring going on. But the SmokeBeat app was particularly for smoking cessation. So a patient would wear a device and there's algorithms that are built into it and it can detect the motions that the patient is making. So it'll know that they're actually smoking a cigarette. Um, they have algorithms to detect all sorts of things actually. So um, they could tell whether you're drinking something, whether it's hot or it's cold based on the way you're holding it. Um, 
all sorts of fun uh, algorithms um, and potential for um, other applications. Obviously, they have to teach those uh, the algorithms um, so that they can detect different types of motions. But anyway, for the smoking cessation thing, you, you know, it can um, implement interventions within an app that's associated with the wearable. So it can say, hey, you know, I've noticed um, you smoked uh, five times after you spoke to your boss. Maybe you should have an apple uh, before you go meet with them as a distraction. Yeah, it would it would interface with your calendar and say like, oh, you're meeting with your boss. So I know that like I've got to give you a pop up like right after that so that you uh, you don't reach for the cigarette. Instead, we'll, we'll suggest something else. It was really it was really amazing technology. Yeah. And it can also geolocate. So I can say, hey, uh, we noticed when you're in this area, maybe by a bar, uh, you happen to have a cigarette. Um, but it can also do um, interventions based on uh, emotional value or financial value or logical, depending on what they think is most applicable to that patient. And by emotional, could say, hey, don't you want to quit smoking for your child? Or financial, it'll say, hey, you've smoked, you know, $30 of worth of cigarettes today. Um, so it's got these different applications. And from the clinician side, they can apply, you know, goals if they want, or they can allow the patient to set their own goals for smoking cessation. Um, so it was a pretty cool tool. I mean, I think the challenge was more that um, it was hard to find um, a champion who had the research time available. Um, but but we do after many years. I think it was four years ago that we saw Smoke Beat and tried to find someone who would be interested in it. And now we found a group um, that will hopefully start piloting it sometime after you know things kind of calm down with COVID. Hopefully very soon. Um, and we'll see we'll see how that goes. We were very excited when we when we finally found a group that had the manpower to hold clinic um, to you know, give it out to their patients and see what happens. I mean, it's basically just going to be a quality thing. So we can just see what, you know, whether people are using it, uh, not so much, you know, the, the end results. Um, but on their website themselves, they do say they've seen like within a month, uh, 22% reduction or something like that in, in smoking. So it's not mm-hmm. nothing. Um, and we certainly know that there's a high failure rate in uh, smoking cessation. Um, but the technology is cool regardless, so aside from just like the smoking cessation aspect of it, you know, they can detect, you know, whether someone's falling, whether someone's drinking enough, whether someone's moving around enough. Um, there's all sorts of applications to it, which, which, you know, could be pretty cool in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember being blown away by their demo and, and that they could not only detect the smoking gesture, but also like all these other hand to mouth kind of gestures, uh, whether, as you said, like drinking, uh, they could distinguish shaving. They could just disti- like they could they could figure out if you were binge eating really just by uh, by uh, what time of day it was and how often you were feeding and stuff like that. Like so and, and they had coupled the technology with some really great behavioral health uh interventions and they would they would figure out whether you were someone that responded to the emotional intervention and they would show a picture of your granddaughter or something and try to like you know persuade you to, to cut back on your bad habits or they would they would just try to yeah, use logic or, or use alternative suggestions or you know financial uh, 
whatever worked, they were they would find it, and uh, it just seemed like a, a great idea and a great technology. Uh, so I'm glad that we never gave up on them because they uh, they uh, they definitely seemed like uh, something that would take off eventually once uh, once we saw the benefit of it. Yeah. Um, the company I wanted to talk about, you know, there were a few to choose from. Uh, we've spoken with over 500 companies over the years and uh, a lot of great talent, great technology. It's definitely the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, makes it exciting to work in our group. Um, but healthcare is just a tough nut to crack. And it, it's, it's not just us. Uh, I think it's, it's everywhere. It's just a slower pace, a more cautious industry. And, uh, you know, uh, some of the things I thought by 2020, COVID or not, I thought that it would we would see uh, charge estimates and software that would help people, uh, you know, figure out how much their elective surgery would cost. I thought that uh, smart pill bottles, I thought all pill bottles would be smart by now and they'd be monitoring adherence to at least to high risk patients. But uh, we, we've had some success and some some movement in that direction, but the, none of these are really ubiquitous yet. Uh, and uh, I don't know uh, how, how things are going in the domain. But um, the company I wanted to talk about was uh, Vital Connect, uh, which is a great company, I think, and they make a great product called Vital Patch. And it's they, there is a trial happening here, a research project. Uh, so it's not uh, something that's swung and missed, uh, but it also, I think you could say, it's not a home run yet, uh, especially uh, considering that we met with them years and years ago. Um, so the Vital Patch sensor device, it's really small. It's about the size of a finger. And you just put it, you know, on your chest or on your back and it, you know, fits comfortably under your clothes. Uh, it's not really obtrusive. The battery lasts a whole week and um, it sends a continuous feed of data to uh, your phone or to a hub. And uh, even if you're out of range of your phone, it will store up to 10 hours of data. And then when you're back in range, it'll it'll transmit it uh, all at once. So pretty pretty durable and great and it's water resistant. And, and so it was uh, just just that alone, I thought was pretty impressive. I, like I have an Apple Watch, but it, it can't go more than like uh, 24 hours without a battery replacement and so on. And it needs to always be by my phone. Um, the, the Vital Patch also, it measures heart rate, respiratory rate, temperature. There's three sensors right there, but uh, it can get uh, your step counts and activity levels and it detects falls. So uh, it's pretty great. And then it also does that one lead EKG that uh, some other companies uh, can accomplish too. So it can monitor whether you're having a lot of PVCs or whether you're back in atrial fibrillation. And it can detect uh, heart rate variability, which is uh, one of the newer measures uh, to detect, you know, if you're coming down with something, if you have a potential exacerbation of a chronic illness. So very capable technology, very... Uh, uh, diverse set of tasks that it can do, and uh, and this was a company that uh, you know had pursued peer-reviewed literature and had uh, I think six or seven trials in the literature. They had multiple FDA clearances, so they were they were doing everything right, and uh, and you could use it on outpatients and people that you're just discharging from the hospital, or you could use it as on inpatients to replace a lot of the spaghetti cords that are uh, you know harassing patients while they're in the hospital. Um, and the company's doing pretty well. They they've raised a lot of money. They uh, have a lot of employees. So like they're they're uh, they're not struggling as far as I can tell. Um, I just wish that uh, we had found like an audience for for someone here. 
uh, I, as I recall, we could not find like a, one champion that uh, that wanted uh, to use it. A lot of people thought it was interesting and cool, but I, I think what was happening was that, you know, the cardiologists had a device that was exclusively dedicated to cardiology. The pulmonologists and respiratory people, they had patches and devices that would monitor, uh, you know, uh, exclusively uh, respiratory functions. And the people that were interested in like fall detection. They had bracelets and other things that could do that. So it, it was almost like this was a Swiss army knife or a, a jack of all trades, but it wasn't uh, uniquely appealing to, uh, to the specialist, any one specialist. So I think that was maybe one of the things that was holding them back uh, here. Another thing is that they, um, they had a nice uh, tablet interface so you could read the data uh, if you are a patient or on the care team, you could kind of visualize and, and see each patient's dashboard and stuff. But as I recall, I, I think it was kind of locked down and they didn't have like an API or a, an interface so that it uh, wasn't easy to share their data. Like if you had an ingestion process for uh, remote patient monitoring or other, uh, if, you, if you wanted to have it, it didn't play well with other devices as far as I can recall. Um, but that was a while ago and maybe they've uh, revisited their technology. I'm not sure. Uh, do you guys remember Vital Patch? Uh, was it was it was it good for you too? Yeah, I remember that company. Um, they, um, I thought they had a, a, a very good product. I agree. Um, I think it was about, especially at that time, it was about finding the use case and the champion uh, within the the organization. Since then, you know, much has changed with um, sending people home with uh, devices and and things like that. So it it. Uh, I think it was just more of a challenge um, several months ago or a year ago to try to get the audience uh, to understand that this is going to be as viable as it is right now. So, All right. Well, um, yeah, good group of companies, and uh, we wish them uh, the best, and maybe we'll give them a second look. But uh, until next time, uh, it's Nick, Daryl, and Natalia signing off. Mm-hmm.